0: You're listening to Lost or Found with Dr. Michelle Choi. The contents of this podcast and website are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition and before undertaking any diet, dietary supplement, exercise, or other health program.
1: Welcome to Lost or Found. Today, I'll be speaking with Joey Wolf, the owner of Paradigm Sport here in Santa Cruz, about his own journey and the impact of exercise and movement. It's a super interesting conversation, so stay tuned. I've never heard of the phrase being grounded until I moved to California. I had just finished my training in the hospital, and perhaps it felt like emerging from the period of scrubs, neckties, and white coats to the period of a lot of yoga pants. I didn't even own yoga pants prior to moving to California. I wore granny shorts. But as I emerged from the walls of the hospital into the world, the term being grounded would eventually be something that would shape my life and perhaps feed my inner hippie. I'm from the East Coast and an immigrant. Hippie to me was Woodstock, the music festival that occurred in the late 60s. My time prior to moving to California felt like survival. Emerging from my family, dealing with the doubts that I had about myself in college, trying to get into medical school, getting into medical school and then dealing with my doubts as a medical student, surviving the hell-called residency, Always afraid that I've done something wrong to accidentally hurt someone, barely eating and sometimes not urinating because I was so dehydrated, falling asleep at bars in the midst of dinner, sleeping in windowless call rooms in the large hospital, trying to close my eyes but hearing the constant sounds of the hospital as I awaited the possible code blues, afraid I wouldn't make the right decisions when a person was not breathing or if their heart stopped beating. On my last day as an internal medicine resident, an elderly patient threw up on me. And during my three years as a resident, I worked out a total of three times at the 12th Street gym in Philadelphia. Note, I lived directly across the street from the gym. I had hoped and planned to live on the East Coast the rest of my life. I had never been to the West Coast ever. Maybe I saw a palm tree once when I visited Disney World in Florida as a kid. But when my then-boyfriend went on the job market and decided to take the job in Santa Cruz, California, I remember having to lay down for four hours, knowing that there would be a major disruption to the plans I had for my life. That's how I took one of the major blows in my life, by laying supine on the bed to make some sense of the shock. And after I had some time to think, as a woman fastly approaching her 30s, I told my boyfriend that if he wanted to continue this relationship long distance that I needed a ring on my finger for a down payment as there were no guarantees with long distance and that's how I ended up in California. And so began my journey with yoga pants in California. At the time, I didn't buy them so that I could work out in them. I didn't work out. I bought them because they looked comfortable and they were elastic waist. Comfy on the days you feel good about yourself and on the days that you don't. And if you ate too much, they expanded nicely but also sucked you up like a really good sausage. So, anyway, back to the term being grounded. You hear this terminology all over the place in Santa Cruz, California. I think Californians really know this term. According to Irene Langveld on the Mind Body Green website, Being grounded means that you're present in your body and connected with the earth. When you're grounded, you allow yourself to feel centered and balanced no matter what's going on around you. If you aren't grounded, you're like a leaf in the wind, very vulnerable and thrown off balance very quickly. But when you are well grounded, you are like a big, strong tree. If something happens around you, it doesn't influence you so much and you are able to feel much more peaceful and balanced in your daily life. Being grounded means to be centered. Activities that can help you to ground is any physical activity, such as exercise, yoga, walking, feeling your feet on the grass or in the sand. Another is meditation, and also being in the moment as you enjoy the music playing or as you enjoy the warm beverage in your hand. Rolling on the ground like a cat or dog is also grounding, but that doesn't sound too ideal nor comfortable to me. Perhaps in other words, it's a way in which to feel that you are actually in your body, to be vigilant of this by reconnecting your mind, body, and spirit, bringing you to your center. In this day and age, think about it, we live life so distracted. And perhaps we are also really tired. Maybe we also really need to sleep. Sometimes when we are really busy and rushing, we can be physically somewhere, but our minds are elsewhere. You could be spending time with your kids, but mentally you may not be with your family and could be somewhere else. Your kid could be asking you to play basketball together or read together, and because you're tired or your mind is elsewhere, you say no. But then you continue to say no. All of a sudden, they are teenagers, time has passed, and now it's too late to read to them. You could be at a game, but on your cell phone the entire time. You could be at your job, but mentally not at your job. You could be physically at Lake Tahoe in a cabin, but your mind is elsewhere and at work. Perhaps being ungrounded means to be disconnected in relation to your mind, body, and soul. And while the goal may be to feel whole and be the ultimate team with your mind, body, and soul, when you are ungrounded, it's like going through life handicapped, being a whiff of who you are, not who you really are. And ultimately, it's disadvantageous, not advantageous for you. It's like you have career goals for yourself, but when you are not mentally at your job, when you are physically at your job, how are you going to achieve your goals if you're not even doing the work now that is necessary? Before I started to exercise, I would have dreams of moving. Actually, I had dreams of running. There is nothing that I used to hate more than running. In my dreams, note I had multiple. I was running outside alone in my dreams. The sun was out. I would feel wind in my hair, and I would feel light in my body. My body was moving so effortlessly. Then I would wake up. And there was one time, due to the reoccurrence of the dreams, I decided I was going to run outside. It was horrible. Everything felt so heavy. My limbs were so heavy. My heart was pounding. I thought I was going to throw up. I couldn't even finish running the whole block. Not around the block, one side of the block and I gave up and walked back home. But don't give up. Everyone has to start from somewhere. I cried on my first hike in California, considering the hike a nightmare as I realized that vacationing could mean more hikes in California. It was a day I realized why one needed to wear socks with sneakers. It took me a long time to include exercise into my life, and now I actually have a utilitarian use for yoga pants. My truth is that I constantly think about not working out before exercising because that inner sloth still lives strong in me. I have to constantly fight this, but the truth is I feel so much better when I move. I feel strong in my body. I've never felt strong in my body before. I momentarily forget about my problems at that moment when I am moving. There is relief. And when you momentarily forget, things seem possible again. And perhaps grounding helps us to be in the moment, live in the moment, which is also called mindfulness, which is a state of active attention on the present. I was driving with my friend somewhere and she was telling me what her mom would say to her all the time. She would always tell her, be awake, be awake, go through life with your eyes wide open so that you can discern the bad and the good so that you can clearly see what is the truth. If you go through life sleepy, you could be misinformed and misled. I thought that was such awesome advice. Be awake! Hello folks, thank you for tuning in today. Today I'll be speaking to Joey Wolf, who is the owner of Paradigm Sport here in Santa Cruz, which isn't necessarily a gym, perhaps more of an amazing gym or an athlete training center. Joey is a lifelong athlete, and his talent and passion for baseball took him to the professional level and was a professional baseball player for the Toronto Blue Jays minor league team. And I'm not going to lie. Considering the fact I was never involved in school sports, always the last to be picked for a team, and never having worked out the majority of my life, my participation at your gym has helped to change my life, not only physically, but also mentally and emotionally. Hello Joey. can you tell us what led you on your path?
2: Hey Michelle. Um, I would say you know you just spoke about my career as a baseball player um, I was always a pretty small kid and I really was into fitness and training and just kind of changing my body to make it stronger and bigger and so I could perform better on the field and so I guess it started there um, and when I was playing baseball, um, it was just something I enjoyed I actually enjoyed the process of, of working out um, I like to see you know I like to go away like in the winter like for Christmas break or something like that and I'd come back like after a couple weeks or a month and when people like would be like wow you look like you've actually gotten bigger like that felt good to me for some reason um, and so I think it really started there and then when my baseball career ended um I kind of I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was very passionate about baseball. It's something I spent most of my life with. In fact, I commuted an hour each way to go to school over in San Jose because uh, I grew up in Santa Cruz here. And, um, so I went to a high school called Archbishop Mitty. Uh, they played in the West Catholic Athletic League, which is a really good, uh, league, not just for baseball, but for all sports. And I had two older brothers that both played baseball. Um, they were both really good. Um, my the my not my oldest brother but my other brother Jason was really good. He was a varsity player for uh, for four years at Aptos High School, and I noticed when he got done playing baseball, he, like, he didn't get recruited. The, the landscape of of high school baseball was much different then. So now they have what they call travel teams, so you can play on like a competitive club team and get recruited that way. And there's all kinds of showcases and like like I said, the landscape's different now. But at the time we didn't have that, so you you really had to get recruited from from your high school team and so
1: and did you get recruited from high school then i did
2: well so that's why i went there was because they like, you know barry bonds had gone to that played in that conference craig jeffrey a got in pat burrell so a lot like a lot of major league guys and and so i was like okay well if i'm going to do this beyond high school which was the goal i need to go is where, where i'll be found and so i ended up going to um, archbishop Mitty, um and i ended i ended up I did get recruited out of there, which was great. Um, but that was like, I was, so I was really, really into it. Um, and then after high school I went and played for four years in college and then ended up getting drafted really late in the 2003 draft by the Toronto Blue Jays. And so I had a path. It was like a clear path. It was like, okay, you're going to go to high school, you know, and then you're going to go to college and then you're going to hopefully get drafted. And then after you get drafted, you're going to work your way up and eventually play in the major leagues. And obviously that didn't happen for me. And, kind of came to a screeching halt, and when I stopped, I was like, I just didn't know what to do.
1: And why did you stop, Joey? Um uh,
2: Like I said, I was a late-round draft pick, and I kind of saw the writing on the wall. You know, I didn't play much. My My first year of Pro Bowl, I, I sat on the bench uh, quite a bit, and the only reason I got to play at all was because – uh was because we had a lot of rainouts, which was totally weird to me, right? Because I was from California, and so we're getting we're getting rainouts like in the middle of summer. It's like it doesn't even mm-hmm. rain this summer here. <laughs> See, this is weird. So anyway, so I so I was a catcher. So I'd, I'd catch the second end of a doubleheader. I ended up having a really good season. Um, so I uh, so after that, they kind of maybe took a little bit of notice of me. They asked me to come to the fall Instruction league, which is kind of an honor to be to be invited to that. It's usually. The, the top prospects that they had just drafted. So to be drafted in the 33rd round and to be asked to do that, it was like, okay, well, maybe they see something in me. And then my next year, I, w- I didn't play well at all. It was my first full season. I hit like 219. It was it was a horrible year. Um, and then I had to get my mind right. My mind was all messed up. I just, I'd, I lacked confidence both on and off the field. And um, and so my last year when I went back, I was, I was doing great. Still wasn't playing a lot, but I would go in there. I'd play like maybe two or three times a week. Um, I was leading the team in hitting and I just wasn't playing often enough. And so I kind of had a long conversation with my dad about it. Um, my dad owns his own business, which I'm sure we'll get into, um, or at least at the time he did And he was reading a book called winning by Jack Welch. Uh, so it was a popular business book at the time. I think it still is. Uh, Jack Welch was the, the CEO of General Electric. He yeah, was like a really popular CEO in the eighties and nineties. And, and he talked about how, um, the, as an employer, you need to be transparent with your employees, and he and he was saying something along the lines of like, "Hey, the Blue Jays have never really been transparent with you." In you, in hindsight, like it was it was probably bad advice, uh, you know. It was like, I, look, I had an opportunity to play baseball for a living. Like, they don't need to tell; they're not, it's a professional sports organization. They're not going to tell every guy in the organization where they stand. You know, you just kind of shut up to your work and 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 do well. And if you do well, you'll continue to grow and, and go up the ranks. So anyway, it was it was enough for me to kind of evaluate where i was you know i was 24 at the time i yeah, hadn't finished college i went to school for four years but i hadn't graduated and i had zero work experience and so i just and i just figured like the, the goal was to play major league baseball and at this at this rate i'm not i'm not probably not going to do that so i went to my coach's office the, the next day and just kind of i i didn't intend on quitting but i i just wanted to kind of give him an idea you know a give an idea where, where, where I saw Mm -hmm. things. And it kind of led down the path of me quitting, which was, was crazy. Like I, I didn't even think about doing that. Like, like I said, I had been very committed for, from an early age. And
1: what did he say to you when you, when you, I guess, had that conversation when you quit
2: he it was more I mean it was very specific it was like hey why aren't I playing and we, I started asking you know compared you know some of the other guys on the team other other catchers like what are you seeing in them that I'm not doing because again at the time I, I was performing like he couldn't sit there and say I wasn't performing like look I'm leading the team in hitting like I'm I'm doing well when I get an opportunity and honestly, at that, at that level, like his job, like he's not making any decisions. It's mm-hmm. the, it's the, you know, it's the farm director. It's the guys higher up the, they have general managers and assistant general managers. And, um, so he, he didn't really make a very good case. And, and which was kind of what led me down the path of like, you know what? I, I'm just, I, I didn't come in here to like have a debate or like I, with you, I, I just, I can't, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I remember I left the locker I left his office, went in the locker room. I saw one of my good friends who was also a catcher. He was actually the one that was in front of me. He was Really good friend of mine. His name was Curtis Thigpen, and he was um, he was a second round draft pick. So, like you can see the the difference in that. And I remember, I'll never forget him looking at me. And I, I was like, I had tears in my eyes, and he looked at me, was like, "Don't do this. Like, why are you doing this?" And I just said, I can't do this anymore. And then, you know, I started crying. All my teammates came over. I, I mean, I was pretty well-liked in the, in the locker yeah. I mean, room. That was part of my decision. was like, I'm a pretty upbeat guy. You know, I have mm-hmm. a lot of energy. And every time I would walk into the locker room and not see my name on a lineup card, it was like getting punched in the stomach. Um, I once heard uh, Kyle Ripken Jr., the legendary Hall of Fame baseball player, shortstop for the Orioles his whole career. When I was on my honeymoon, a couple of years after I had gotten done, uh, so I, I quit playing in 2005. I got married in 2007. I remember... We were uh, in Hawaii for our honeymoon, and I was reading a, a, one of the books. He's written many books, but I remember reading one of them. People would ask him because he had he had a, he had a, a really famous um, record, which will pro- probably never be broken. Although the bro- the record he broke said, which which was set by Lou Gehrig, we was said that it would never be broken, and and he obviously did that. So it was the most consecutive games played. Um, and people would ask him like, "Why are you doing this? Why would you do this?" He said, "Look, before I started the streak." I didn't know that, um, yeah, it, like, the, the, the intention was never that. And there were times when I would sit, I would have to sit on the bench. Like, in the minor leagues, I would sit on the bench. And every time I sat on the bench, I felt like I was a little kid watching my friends play outside, and I couldn't go out and play with them. And, like, he put into words exactly how I felt. So every every day I would go to the uh, the field, I was just like, I felt like I just was being, like, a prisoner in, in the house and couldn't go out and play. And, and it wasn't a good feeling, you know? Yeah. And so I, so I decided, you know, it's time to move on. And so... So I did that, and so when I I end up I ended up quitting Memorial Day weekend in 2005. Um, I think I drove home like on a Tuesday or Wednesday from Michigan. I was in Lansing, Michigan. I was playing for the Lansing Lugnuts at the time. It was a low mm-hmm. A affiliation for the for the Toronto Blue Jays, as you said. Um, my best friend drove out with me. Actually, they flew out, and then we drove back together. And I got back to I think I got back early in the morning it must like have a been Saturday. the
1: saddest ride ever
2: it was it was it was a lot of there was a lot of reflecting it was super weird this is totally off topic but i thought it was super so my wedding song and so at the time my wife and i were broken up and this is mm-hmm. this is like something i'll always remember and that there was a song by michael buble the artist that was out at the time and he uh he had a song that I was just playing on the radio and i before we left i lived right by a target so this is like back in the day when there's cds And I remember um, going to the, we got the CD and we're listening to the the CD. I got, I put it in right when he got it. And it's me and my best friend. So we're talking the whole time. And there was one time where he fell asleep on the ride. And there was a song that played his his song. It's called Home. I'm sure Mm -hmm. you've heard it. And the lyrics to that song, he it's like he talks about he's you know, he's been on his run, baby, he's done, he's going home. And I was like, wow, this is like it was a it was a powerful song because it was talking about basically his either his, his tour tour, his career is over, and he's he's going home to see his, his significant other. And when I got home, I played that for Kendra. We, you know, we kind of we made up and ended up getting back together and I said, Hey, I heard this song, it made me think if you want to play it. Um and I played it and she totally started crying. Um so it was just a reflective drive. It was like and the other weird thing that happened on that drive home is. I saw a kid. We So we stopped in Omaha, and we stayed at Embassy Suites. And I was getting in the elevator, and coming out was a guy named Aaron Bates, who I had worked with when he was a kid. In fact, he ended up going to Archbishop Mitty High School. He was from Santa Cruz. He originally started at Soquel High School. He was also a catcher. And before he transferred from Soquel to, uh, to, to Mitty, he, taught, he asked me about my experience there. So he was just a kid that kind of looked up to me. I was mm-hmm. several years older than him. And he was in the elevator because he was playing uh, the University of Nebraska at a, at a regional, a college regional. His, like I said, he went to North Carolina State, so they were in a regional. And I'm going in the elevator, and he's coming out, and I, and he sees me. I'm like, he's like, oh, "Yo, hey, Joey, what's that? like, what are you doing here?" And I just, <laughs> I said, I just, I just quit playing baseball, and he just kind of gave me this look, like, "Oh my god." So it was, it was a weird deal, right? So to, to, to be driving home and just thinking about what do I want to do. So that's kind of the long-winded answer. So I got home and. Um, but like, what
1: a like loving moment though, like being in the middle of nowhere and running into someone you know. Yeah, it was. You know, it, it was
2: it was very surreal. It was. And
1: who looked up to you? Yeah, you know, it
2: was very surreal. So anyway, so I got home on a Saturday, and uh, my my parents owned a business. So they started a business called Wolf Engineering. It's our last name, and um, it's a they were a contract manufacturer for like they built uh, capital equipment for the semiconductor industry. So like it was like, very technical thing that I knew nothing about I didn't I didn't know anything about anything other than mm-hmm. uh, other than baseball and so he said hey I want to work I want you to work on Monday
1: so, so you got I, home on Wednesday and you were no I got home
2: on I got home on Saturday <laughs> so I had basically Saturday Sunday and then Monday I was at work and th- they didn't really have a job for me but mm-hmm. I you know he wanted me to go to work so I, I went to work and I they, they put me in a cubicle right outside of his office and it was like hey uh uh, you know, we're having issues in production. Why don't you go out there and find out what's going on? It's like, like okay. Like, <laughs> I, I need—I literally knew nothing about it. So I walk out there and just kind of observing. And so I did that for a few months. And then finally I kind of got into that. It was like, I, I have a little bit of OCD. So it's like, mm-hmm. so that that kind of fit for me. It was like, it was re- I was to get things organized and get things pushed out. And so I kind of started learning that and got really wrapped up in that. I read a book, uh, it's called The Goal by Ellie Goldratt. It's a really famous uh, production book. It's a really popular one, I should say. At the time, I I don't know if it still is, but it was a required reading for um, for your MBA at Stanford. Mm -hmm. So it was a it was a good book, and I'd go to like conferences about throughput and production, and got really into that. And so I was doing that for about maybe a year. um, It was pretty pretty into it, and then my oldest brother Vince ended up getting diagnosed with brain cancer. He had a grade four glioblastoma, which ironically, again a little sidetrack. My father in law, who is still alive to this day, had the exact same brain tumor. So, Kendra and I met in two th- in 2000, the summer of 2000. Kendra's my wife. And that winter, so between Thanksgiving and Christmas, he ended up having a stroke. And what had caused the stroke was something had broken off and, uh, in his brain and it caused uh, him to have a stroke. But it, mm-hmm. was, it was really caused by a brain tumor.
1: And that was in 2000. That was in 2000. Mm-hmm. So, this was
2: before, this was six years before my brother was diagnosed. And so, it was... so. We, so anyway, so I we were da- we were just kind of dating at the time. We weren't we weren't like super serious, but I was going through it. And I didn't I didn't really know. I li- literally knew nothing about. It. I, I I still remember to this day like receiving a, a phone a voicemail from her when I was driving over Highway Seventeen about her. She said, "Hey, it wasn't just a stroke. We actually found out it was a brain tumor." And I'm thinking like, "Okay, like, well, what's the difference?" Like, I had zero concept of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was with her through that whole battle. I was I was. Well, I watched her dad. He's still alive, which is, like, crazy. Uh, the odd, I think the statistics we saw somewhere is, like, less than 1% or 2%. Yeah, it's a very
1: harsh shock uh, yeah. yeah.
2: So um, I was just over at their house last night for dinner. I mean, he's still alive. He's paralyzed on his on his right side. He has a very hard time talking. Like, I've never, I've had two conversations with him like we're having now. Um, I met him briefly the summer we met, and then I met him, uh, or, and then I spoke to him right before he went in for surgery. And so what happened was when they went in to get the tumor out, they cut parts of his brain that, mm-hmm. um, you know, deal with his function of his right side and his speech. Um, and it, ironically, the conversation we had was about baseball. It was about catching. Um, I remember, I'll never forget. He said, uh, he asked me what position I played. I told him I was a catcher. And he said, I, I, I was uh, always been fascinated about how catchers can come out of the crouch and throw the ball to second. So other than that, I have <laughs> never really got to have a full conversation with him. Um, and so, so, Kendra and I knew what was in store, and Mm -hmm. so when Vince was diagnosed, it was... And
1: what was his uh, symptom that he experienced initially? He
2: had a lot of headaches. Uh, He was tired. Mm -hmm. Uh, He couldn't get out of bed. Um, He was throwing up a lot. And how old was he? When he was diagnosed, he was 29. Yeah. He
1: was 29? Yeah. Was he your older brother? Yeah, he was my
2: oldest brother. So I had Vince, who was uh, about four and a half years older than me. Jason was about, th- is about three. And I have a sister, Megan, who's about a year and a half younger than me. So mm-hmm. I mean, we were all very close. I mean, the age difference between, uh, Megan and Vince was about six years, but we were cl- I mean, my parents didn't have a lot of friends growing up, you know, mm-hmm. it was just us. It was the wolf pack, you know, we were just, we stayed together and we were very, very close as a family. It was very, it was a very difficult time. Um, it still is. I mean, it's still, it still rocks my mom and my parents. And mm-hmm. I think about them every day, but but when he when he got sick and diagnosed and then eventually passed away, I, I realized, I, life's too short. Like I I got I have to find something, that that filled me up the way baseball did. And honestly, I, nothing has. Mm-hmm. I mean, baseball is, is it for me? It's it, it's. I think I was very fortunate to find that at such young age. You know,
1: how was um, it working for the company after baseball? It
2: was it was so weird. So you got to on about the timing, right? So, so he got he passed away in two thousand seven. We had the recession in two thousand eight, and I don't to this day I don't know how my dad and mom, but really my my mom kind of stopped working at the business. So it was too hard for her to go in. Um, I don't know how he did it. Like I don't know yeah. how you lose a child and he continued, cuz Vince we all worked there. So Vince worked there. Vince worked there for for 11 years before mm-hmm. he ended up getting sick. So Vince worked there, Jason worked there, my sister, it was a family business. I mean, it was a, it was a good size business for a family business, but it was um, you know, was, they my, they they did like 110 million million in revenue in 2005. So it was a, it was a good big mm-hmm. big family business. And it was hard for me. I remember st- I must have still been working on the production floor and I remember like or you know trying to organize the work orders and all that stuff on the floor. And I remember just crying, just being on the floor, just crying. And I was like, this is just not right. And so I think that had a lot to do with it. I think I needed to just get out of there and, and start something new. And it, it impacted my relationship with my father. I, mm-hmm. I, I felt like—
1: When you chose to leave? No, no,
2: no. When I, mm-hmm. <clears throat> when I was there. So my brother was the oldest, and my, my, he had a very different relationship uh, with my father than I did. Like Vince—like um, I told you, my, my dad—so we had that conversation about quitting— Which was probably, like I said, in hindsight, not great advice. But other than that, I I would say he was like the perfect sports father, like the perfect baseball dad. Like he didn't push me. All he did was he support me. He would drive me to tournaments all over the state. He would fly me anywhere. Like he was very, very supportive of me. What Um, would
1: he say to you when you didn't have a good game?
2: Wouldn't say anything. He didn't say a word. Like all the stuff I read, all the stuff I hear about parents, like, you know, talking about things that happened during the game, Mm -hmm. after the game, like he never did any of that. What did
1: his face
2: look <clears throat> like? I mean, he was just normal. Himself? Just, yeah, just that's normal. Amazing. He would get. He would. The only time he'd get fired up is if I'd like throw a runner out. He'd be like, "Yeah, that's a boy Joester," and mm. so very supportive. Um, but he had a different relationship um, with my brothers, and he he was hard on Vince, and and he's this is something he's admitted to, and um, and Vince would talk to me about it, and it was hard for him, and it was weird. I never saw that. In fact, I remember. I remember driving home I think Vince was getting his car service or something like that what this is obviously when he was alive and uh, a couple of years before he got sick maybe a year before he got sick because I was working for my dad's business at the time and he was talking about the relationship and how, how challenging it was and um and I remember seeing, telling him like I just don't I didn't see that Vince like I just don't I don't know you're like that's I have a different relationship with dad than you do and when Vince passed um my relationship with my dad changed I I started to see what what vince saw with mm-hmm. him and i didn't like it at all um and so that and you was were still working at the company uh, yeah mm-hmm. and i think that was part of it like he just and look he was going through it a ton like yeah. right like that's to have been so hard for him but i finally saw what vince kind of talked about and um so i said i need to get out i need to go do something else um and like so going back to your original question um fitness was always something i wanted to do and, is it but,
1: something you've always loved
2: yeah I did I loved I loved doing it I, I'm a very energetic guy I can't sit still mm-hmm. uh sitting in a classroom is always very hard for me like I just I love moving I love I loved playing sports and so um so I thought well why don't I get into training and so it was kind of weird so I was working for my for my parents company my best friend actually that that drove back with me his name was Freddie um he had a brother named Eddie and Eddie <laughs> I, I know right um and the the dad um eddie was working as a personal trainer at google so again timing wise this is like 2007 Mm -hmm. so google was like growing like a weed it was humongous and i remember thinking wow that'd be a cool job like to be a trainer at google and unbeknownst to me he mentioned something so when you at the time and i don't know if it's changed but you're 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 a contractor you work for a separate company so the company called plus one was the one that had the contract um with google and so he mentioned something to his manager at Google and said, Hey, I've got a friend who is super into fitness, is really good shape, loves to you know, loves to work out and is a very hardworking guy. Like he might be interested in a job. Like I have no idea to this day why he said that or why he did that. But Freddie called me and said, Hey, Eddie got you an interview if you want to come come work for Google as a personal trainer. I said, Yeah, that sounds amazing. I mean, all this free food, all the stuff they're doing over there, that sounds great.
1: So and you I, know, sometimes I wonder—is that that's one of the helpful things when you're kind to someone because someone will remember you yeah. and throw you out a bone, you right. know? And that kind of kind of led you on your path again.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a total. I was a total because I, I wasn't certified. I didn't mm-hmm. never express to Eddie that I was you know looking for something, and so I went in there for an interview and they they liked me, but I, I wasn't certified. So like, hey, you can come work here. You can come work the front desk, and just kind of worked until you until you get your certification. You can um, you can you know you can come work here, and so. So I said, great, and so I started working there part time. I was working for my parents full time at the at their business, and then I was going to school part time. So I was working a lot, um, with the hopes to eventually become a trainer. And I don't know that having a facility at the time—I honestly can't recall if, if that was like the end end goal for me. Um, I knew it became—I know it became the end goal, but um, so I did that. So I did that for you know several months, maybe a year or something like that, and then ended up getting certified and started training there, and then eventually. You know, i had been commuting my whole life. I'd been doing that that mm-hmm. hour long commute every every day um, since high school. And the goal for me was simple. It was like, hey, I want to, I just want to work and live in Santa Cruz. Like that's it. I just so in 2010, that's really when I kind of cut the cord with um, San Jose. I think I was still maybe doing a couple of clients at Google. I think I stopped working at Google at that point and was working at a place in Mountain View called Evolution Trainers, which it's a great gym. It's independent. It's independent contracting gym, um, and it's it's in Mountain View. So those some of those trainers can charge like one hundred fifty dollars an hour. Um, so I was, tra- I was training one client at that time. But the goal was like, okay, you're cutting it off, and you're going to start this in two thousand ten. So that's essentially when Paradigm Sports started. Was in mm-hmm. January of two thousand ten. Um, and so I was did working.
1: Fitness always feel right for you.
2: Yeah, it, it yeah mm-hmm. it did. It, there was a time. So from two thousand ten to two thousand fourteen, before we actually opened the gym as you know it. Um, I was grinding to try to get it open. Like I, at that point, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to open a facility. Um, I knew what kind of facility I wanted, um, and so I was trying to do everything I could to to get build my clientele and 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 get it get it to become a reality. Um, and so during that time, I kind of almost it's ironic, but I stopped working out because I was so focused on the business. Um, and then once we opened for like the first, maybe six months to a year, I was very busy working, mm-hmm. you know, I was in there at five o'clock and leaving late.
1: I'm curious, how long did you stop working out? Like someone w- as athletic I, as you, so, so how long is that? So I never
2: stopped completely, but mm-hmm. I would go like three or four months where I wouldn't work work out at all. Like mm-hmm. I would, I would just, I would, I would be training clients and then I realized, okay, you got to stop doing that. Like, you know, it's like the mechanic who's got the broken down car, you know, he's yeah. so busy working on everyone else's car that he doesn't tend to his own. And so... So that would go on. And then I'd be like, I gotta stop. I gotta, I gotta get back to making this a priority, and I'd start working out again. And then I'd go for like, I, I maybe like a, a month. Like I would deal with the same things that most people do, where it's like it was hard to get going again. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of got into my routine of not working out and to get back. You were like it. me. Yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> like, yeah, like how a lot of our clients are. And so, and so I can empathize when that, when, when you know, when people are having a hard time getting going. Um And then once. We open our, and this is going to be such a lame excuse, but honestly, part of it was that we didn't have a shower at the gym I was training at. And so when we opened Paradigm, I was like, I, we got to get showers. Like I got to be able to work out them in them. And family. I have
1: to say, you do have the best bathrooms yeah. I've ever seen.
2: <laughs> we could thank Kendra <laughs> for that. She did all the design.
1: Almost enough to lick the stalls, but yeah, yeah, I yeah. You know.
2: <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that was that was important. Important uh, was important to me was to have a facility that was you know like we're gonna I was gonna be there all day at the time there was really no nice gyms in Santa in Santa Cruz, and so I felt like we could differentiate ourselves that way. Um, so, yeah, so I got, so when we opened, I kind of got back on track, and I said, okay, never again can I let myself slide like that, and I, and, and, and I haven't. I mean, it's it's a part of my, it's just a part of who I am. I have to, I have to train every day, and even the days I don't want to, it's, I got to do something to move my How body. How does it
1: make you feel to train?
2: Uh, like, I,
1: why uh, is, why is fitness important to your life um, now?
2: So, the first question, it makes me feel normal. Like, if I don't do it, I just, I just, I kind of get, I don't say depressed, but I get, like, in a bad mental state and again these are things that i didn't even know about myself and how
1: long does that take for you to get to that like kind of like depressed state you know because i think it varies with people but when do you notice it when you don't work out
2: like literally that like in that day okay like i literally have to do something every day and Mm. and it doesn't need to be like a a workout that you're doing you know paradigm but Mm. yoga or something something Mm. where i'm moving my body um and so um so yeah i try to i try to keep keep move and keep busy every every day and and you know it's one thing I've noticed about myself is I don't like doing it by myself like I've kind of recruited like a team of friends to kind of help me be or, or to work out with me because um because oftentimes you know people's lives get busy and they have to they have to back out um like the other just the other day I have a, a running partner on Tuesdays and Thursdays and we run it early in the morning I'm not a morning person by any means and so you know we get up at 5 30 we go run and he he texted me on Wednesday night and said hey uh, I can't go tomorrow and, so I started, like, racking my, my brain, like, who can I call to recruit? Because I know I'm not going to get up early in the morning and go run yeah. by myself. I
1: think it really does help to work out with someone. Oh, yeah. Know? I
2: mean,
1: not. I mean, I'm mean i never in a state where I can talk when I'm working out, you <laughs> right. know, because I'm working on breathing. Right. But it does help to see someone by your side. And even at the gym, I've seen you with your kids. Mm-hmm. You're You working out with your wife and your kids. Yeah which is so nice, you know.
2: Yeah, no it is. Um it, so yeah, if I don't have like I won't get up early in the morning and work out by myself. I just I just know I won't. So that's why I try to recruit someone to go do it. And, and like it could be surfing, it could be biking. Um I prefer those those activities because um they're just fun you're getting you're you know, you're exercising and you you're not even really thinking about it. Um so yeah, so I, I exercise and training has always kind of been a part of my life and um it's an important part of my life and I like to pass that on and to other people because I feel like it, it can really change their life, both mentally and physically.
1: Yeah, Joey, I have to say, like, I think we all understand, like, the impact of exercise on health. We know that, it, de- you know, it helps with weight loss. It decreases high blood pressure and high cholesterol, improves circulation, you know, strengthens the heart. But I think there's, like, a almost, like, a bigger impact of exercise on health. And I think that's, like, really how you feel in your own body. And I don't think I ever noticed it until I, I went to your gym. And initially, like, your your gym is actually the first gym I've actually honored, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of I paid for the membership and I actually went. Mm-hmm. You know, other gyms I really never continued to go to. I actually think I initially went because I was paying so much, like I was being cheap. I felt like I needed to get my money's worth. Uh, right. I have to say, after two months of working out, I didn't realize how badly I was feeling until two months out. Mm -hmm. You know, I was so used to stress my whole life and I never really moved that after two months of working out consistently at your gym, I realized that pain I was feeling was gone, Mm -hmm. like that feeling in my chest, like the heart palpitations. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea how stressed I was until like I went consistently to your gym. And I really have to say it's been like mind life changing for me.
2: Yeah, I've, I've, I think that's common with a lot of people, you know, we, we were talking about Vince earlier, I, when, he, when he got diagnosed, I, I was trying to wrap my brain around what was happening, you know, like, he was so young, and just, you know, like, inherently, I just started, I started going running, like, late at night, it was really a weird way to deal with it, but... And um, how
1: long would you run?
2: It, it just depended like maybe usually like an hour maybe two I would and just, you
1: never really ran before
2: no I mean I would run but I would I wasn't a runner but mm-hmm. no and it was it was just a way I dealt with it you know all the stress all the anxiety all the unknown all the all of those feelings I just my body felt like moving yeah and I would go run late at night it was weird it was like mm-hmm. 11 30 12 o'clock at night and I would just go run from my house and I'd run down the beach and I would just sit there and reflect. so I think that
1: and what would you think when you were running, or did you think nothing?
2: No, I would think. I'm always thinking. Mm-hmm. I, I never stopped thinking, unfortunately. I had, so meditation <laughs> would be good for me.
1: Because I think uh, running is kind of like a form of meditation. I, I, for sure it? it
2: was. And and so I, I I would think about a lot of things. I would think about, you know, my father-in-law. I would think about, um, I would just think about him and his kids and the relationship that I would want to have with his kids. Because, again, we knew, Kendra and I knew, what he was up against yeah he didn't and he was him and his wife his wife's teresa they were he fought man he fought hard um but i would think about uh just what would life be like without him um mm-hmm. i try to imagine that and so bringing back to your point like yeah i think that there's a ton of people especially in the bay area that are stressed out especially now with everything that's going on with covid um there's a lot of stuff and i think it's a good way for people to to, to cope with it and i i think a lot of people don't realize obviously people get the benefits they understand the science that like okay yes exercise yeah. is good for me but i think mentally psychologically i don't know that a lot of people do see that hey not only going to transform my body it's going to help me physiologically with mentally with my with what's going on my neurochemistry and and not only that like you I, we see people's bodies change right like they we've we've had several clients and just complete body transformations and what that does to their confidence and how they in their self-esteem and Um, all of that stuff is such a positive, but it's funny, anything in life that's worth doing is hard. Exercise is hard, you know, training is hard and, um, but it's worth it. And I think what, what I, what I see with a lot of people is they kind of get in that contemplation, pre-contemplation kind of mindset and they start thinking about what, you know, that I, this is my life now. This is not where I want to be. I want to start doing it, but it's very hard for them to take that step. It's the same thing I was just talking about when I was having a hard time, when I was, you know, building my building my business and and I kind of fell out of the 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 rhythm and the pattern of getting in um but once you get into it and you can stick, you you, you mentioned two months for you i think it's like kind of like that two months maybe you know 12 week kind of
1: i mean this is something where like i was having anxiety at my job Mm -hmm. for literally two years and you just stuff it back you stuff it back right but then, you know, you realize maybe, oh, you think that's normal. And after, you know, I think fear or stress is good to a degree because if there's a bear behind you, you have to get the hell away. Right. You know, you have to run away. Right. However, that's a, you know, sympathetic nervous system. You know, if you keep on living in that stress mode, that's when it's not healthy for right. you. Like there was a time when that stress would decrease. But I think in our society right now, stress is so rampant. I mm-hmm. really believe stress is an epidemic. I'm not like you, you know, like I never worked out until like late in my 30s. And for me, I have a great love of the sofa. (laughs) 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 However, you know, and there's times when I really have to force myself to to go to class. Because, you know, for me, I think the magic number for me is I don't need to work out every day. Maybe I need to move, but maybe like four times a week is when I notice that my mind is okay. And every time I go, I really think this. Oh, God, I can't. Mm-hmm. And then after an hour of it, you come out and you're like, holy shit, mm-hmm. I did it. Right. I survived. And I think that's a powerful feeling. Even when you're not doing well or you're really stressed or things are really bad, to know at the end of that short period of time you've done something. Kind of like a like it's mental, emotional, and physical.
2: Right. Yeah, I, I think that for me it's... Um And for a lot of our clients, I think that a lot of people want to be the the type of person that works out. It's just hard to make that step. And um, for me, I've always wanted to be the type of person that woke up early, Um, but it was hard for me. And so I kind of had to figure out a system that worked for me. And I knew that if I was um, making appointments with friends to work out – Early in the morning i couldn't stand them up and so i would so i so I, I created like behaviors around the type of person that i wanted to be until i became that person and um i think that that can hold true for a lot of our you know the people that come into to, the, to our gym like people they they reach out to us because they they want to make a change they just don't know how
1: they almost needed at that moment in their life and i think the truth is, you don't really feel better after one, I don't know, workout. No, definitely you know? not. No. It's no. like you, consistency. you actually feel worse. Yeah. Yeah, you
2: feel, you, feel t- you know, you're tired, you're sore, you know. Yeah, and a- I'm
1: not going to lie. Like, at your gym, I did have pain for six months, you know. <laughs> right, right, after a right. while, you like it's like it's almost like a good pain. Right. That, you know, you're getting stronger, you know. I remember when you were doing your, um, there's like that preliminary at your gym. Your where assessment, you, yeah. The assessment, you know. Mm-hmm. And I came in my Crocs. Without socks on, <laughs> I had no idea I'd be doing what's uh you know
2: the versa climber the versa climber
1: yeah, yeah. or the rowing machine right. or holding a plank for two minutes and I did it in my Crocs because and then I was thinking, holy shit, what did I get myself into? I gotta into, say, you know? I
2: gotta say, good for you for sticking it out because honestly, we've w- I've had to tailor that assessment process back because um, our head strength guy Tanner helped me create that. And I we lost a lot of clients with that because it's hard. Oh really? Yeah. No, I would we would do it with people. We would take them so we would, you know, as you know, you know, you would we'd be doing planks, we'd be doing carries, we'd be doing uh we'd test for pull-ups or TRX rows and the climber and the rower. And it got to the point where it's like, why are we doing this to people? Like this is their first mm-hmm. day. This is gonna totally intimidate them. I like, guess
1: that makes sense because they're already probably feeling bad about themselves yeah. and if they feel worse, yeah.
2: You know? And so it was so, Before they
1: learn to feel better, yeah.
2: So I, I, I've cut that. So the fact that you did that and and it was hard for you and you stayed through, stayed with it, that's that says a lot about you. Because I, um, I just feel like we want people to like. It's gonna be hard. Like, we just want to welcome them in and get them. I think, but part of, part of what I liked about the, that assessment process, the way it was, because it, it kind of gave you a look into, like, hey, this is this is kind of what we do here. Like, this is either gonna be something you're into or not into. But so it says about you, like your mental fortitude that you could that you could stick with it and keep going. I
1: mean, I think at the time I was thinking, "Holy shit!" the whole <laughs> yeah. time. But you know, but I have to say, like, the effect on my health has been profound, even in terms of at the time, you know, I was working in the medical office the reality of my life kind of was very difficult for me or mm-hmm. dealing with the stresses of other people. And I think as a human, we sometimes don't know ways in which we, need, we can get the stress out. And I think movement and exercise is one way in which you can do so. But like all things in life, you have to keep at it. But I think, quite honestly, the reason why I wanted to have this conversation today is because it's therapy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a form of therapy. May, words may not be coming out of your mouth but to actually move your body you know releasing endorphins that that shit's real right um
2: yeah no it, it is and i think uh, one of the things that we've as a society been starting with the last you know 10 months or eight months or whatever it's been is with covid is there's a social component to it too so yes it's great the exercise the training is great um but again, I keep going back to the social aspect of it. That's
1: true, and, yeah.
2: And, and that's what's been challenging. And it's funny because even now, you know, we're able to open at 10% capacity. So we're, we're in there and people are working out. But the fact that they're not able to kind of stay around and ha- and have, you know, the, the conversations with other members, um, that part's been, been challenging. So there is a physical, but then there's also like a psychological and social component to it that – why this whole situation this year, one of the many reasons why everything's been so challenging for people. Because um, I do think that training in in a group setting is, is, is something that people can benefit from as well. Yeah,
1: that's absolutely true because everyone in the 6 a.m. class, when I make it and I don't pay the $10, <laughs>
0: it's
1: like the hellos or the fact that they're there and you go there to see them, that social connectivity. And I think even with the pandemic, that's a reminder of how crucial that is. Right.
2: Yeah, that that six a.m. class is is a is a great group, and I, I feel like it's funny. They're probably of all the all the classes we have, they're very consistent when they come in, and in terms and of, of
1: all ages too. Uh, yeah, which and, is wonderful. Yeah,
2: and a lot of them are you know they're they're working professionals, so they got to get in and get it done before before uh, before work. But um, I think that the. the the goal always for me with it was to be consistent, to make sure I'm training at, you know, at least 5 times a week and um, it's funny how how many people come in and are just super consistent with their with their program and um and you and you kind of can see in other areas of their life they're like killing it in other areas of, li- of their life as well. So I do feel like it helps uh helps people become more productive throughout or their
1: Or the idea of just not giving up. Right. It's just like kind of a reminder, god, I think I can't. And then you come out of it. and Maybe I can. I think that's a huge component, you know, the consistency. Right. That sometimes, like, it's just kind of like continuing to walk forward as you figure out where you're gonna go. You know.
2: Yeah, I've always thought that would work. Like, I, for me, when I'm working, like working, like I said, work, like working out can be hard. Like sometimes it's, you know, like getting through a yoga class may not be that challenging, but like doing a high intensity interval training workout, similar to what you do, like I've always said that I feel like getting through that not just physically but mentally kind of conditions me for the challenges that life has ahead of me um there was a time early on when I kind of got into working out um when Vince was sick where and I think maybe part of the again I'm not a psychiatrist I don't know what's going on I don't know what's going on but how it affected you yeah I remember thinking like uh, when I was running, like Vince, watching him suffer, like watching his body just kind of wither away, it's like if if he can go, like I want to put myself through pain. If if you know if he's dealing with that, like surely I can deal with this. Like, and 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 I and, I, and even to this day, I mean, he passed away what 13, 13 years ago. I still think about him. Like if I'm training and something's hard, like. I get strength through thinking about how how he battled cancer, and it, it, it's it's a really weird thing, but it, it helps me. It gives me strength. So,
1: do you feel um, him around you
2: all the time? Especially like I said, when things are, it's funny now because um, it's not funny, but it's just iron. You know, you, you asked me a minute ago, like, what do I, what was I thinking about when I was running at, at night when he was sick? I would think about my relationship with his children because he had three boys. He at the time when he passed away, uh, his oldest, uh, his also name was Vince. He he was six. I think Julian was five and I think Diego was two. So he had three young boys. And now Vince is, uh, his oldest son is, uh, 19. Um, and so I work out them. We train together now. So he lives in Santa Cruz and he'll come into Paradigm and we train together like three or four times a week. And I always have this thing, like when I'm, when I'm like bench pressing or squatting or something, like I just think about Vince and I remember helping him out when he like, he like his weight dropped like 130 pounds. And, I just think about him when I'm doing a hard set and, and it's, it's, it's weird. It's kind of surreal. Cause his, his son will be spotting me and I'll be thinking about his father as I'm like, and he doesn't know that. Like, I don't tell him this, but, but that's what, that's what I do. So it gives me strength. So, um, I don't know. Exercise for me is, it's just, it's more than just like working out to look good. There's a, hell, a heck of a lot more going on than just that it's, um, it makes me feel alive. It, it 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 it's like a little kind of a, it's a way of suffering a bit. It's like self inflicted suffering that will help me deal with the challenges that more life like for at like us. a
1: building block. I think you know? hundred yeah. percent, not like to cut off an arm no, or no, no, no. take out your kidney and N- sell it. kind no, of thing. No. You know?
2: <laughs> but like like even going through this as a business owner, yeah. you know, w- with COVID when it came around, it's like it was it was hard. It was tough. It was it was the it was the first time since. Vince had been sick or passed away that I was going out on a late night run to get my head clear, you know? Um, and so I feel like for me, exercise is a way of dealing with all of that. And I don't think I'm alone. I know, and I know that there's several clients that come in that have dealt with some hardships and, and I've heard them talk about, you know, they kinda go they kind of feel the same thing. So it's
1: therapy. Yeah,
2: it's it is. It really is.
1: I think it's so so beautiful how with your nephew Vince, mm-hmm. you know, that you work out with him because to teach him, you know, what it could mean, and you don't say it, but to show him, teach him, be with him, what it can mean to feel good in your body, like that those are wonderful lessons. Right. I mean, honestly, like I'm thankful I was able to learn this lesson like late in life. Mm-hmm. But I wish I had known those lessons earlier in life because sometimes I think like child sports, you know, it's kind of like the analogy of life. Mm-hmm. Like seeing my own children right now when they're playing on the flag football team or baseball team to actually run, to move, to be out in the sun, to feel good, to have hardship, when, to feel horrible when you lose or when you feel like you've not had a good game or to get along with your team to be a good team member, I think these are, like, great analogies on life,
2: yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So the other part of our business, so you obviously come to the training side of fitness classes, but the other part of our business is baseball, and, you know, we have, like, five or six travel ball teams. Uh, we do a baseball camp every year. We've done—that, in fact, we've done for the longest. We've had—this would have been the 11th year, but we had to not—we couldn't do it because of COVID, but— um. But we talk about it all the time. It's in our mission statement, you know. We use we use baseball as a vehicle to help the kids develop the human qualities and not just be better players, but to be better human beings. And that's what I love about sport. I feel like it really helps kind of instill is how to be a good teammate, you know, how to work hard, how to have discipline. Um and I and Or
1: if you're not good at something, try right, you know, practice. Right. You know? Because all of us are not good at something right. in the beginning or even at the end, you know.
2: Right. And so one of the things we've done with baseball is we've kind of wrapped the training into it and and so not you know so most of these kids aren't going to go on and play major league baseball if they go, if they're if they go into college that's that's a huge win for, but you're instilling for them. the love but we're yeah instilling the love not only for the sport but hopefully for training just like it did for me like yeah. for me what made me fall in love with training was it helped me become a better baseball player had ba- had training not helped me become a better baseball player I don't know that I would have got into it with the you know with the same rigor that I did um and so I'm I'm just uh, I'm just trying I don't know, I guess we're just trying to pass that along to the to the youth here in Santa Cruz and the kids that are wanting to play baseball.
1: because I think we should all remember, except for me because I never had that experience, but most of us I think mm-hmm. have played childhood sports mm-hmm. how you felt when you were playing like that, how you felt when you were doing something you loved or out on the field, you know right because life is so stressful for right now and I think a lot of people, don't work out as much as they should or don't work out, you know. Right. But to remember how you felt when times were better, I think it helps a lot. Like, even in your, like, middle age or if you're in your 50s or 60s, you know. Right. To remember those lessons that we've learned that we carry. Like, how did you feel then, you know. Right. And I don't think we should stop. I think it's critical to health, but also the way exercise impacts the mind, right? you know, and stress is such an epidemic. I think it helps a lot.
2: I do, too. Especially now. I was listening early on um, when all this thing went down with the COVID. And they're talking about like the next epidemic is going to be like a mental a- epidemic. and um, It already
1: is. We're just not saying it. it. You yeah. know, the stress epidemic, I think pandemic made it worse. Mm-hmm. But if you see people like they're so stressed, like mm-hmm. I see them in the enclosed office. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that's what also led me down this path. I didn't feel like I was doing enough in the seven minutes that I had with them mm-hmm. in the enclosed office because stress is an epidemic. Right. It forms it shows itself in many different ways. You your stomach hurts. You're having depression or more anxious. You're having palpitations or your heart hurts. It shows in many different ways. And I think it's been going on for a long time. But the pandemic certainly has made it worse.
2: Right. Yeah. Say that again. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like all like all things like i mean isn't right now the time to perhaps reflect and hopefully try to survive you know all of us right and know. perhaps modify how we want to live.
2: Yeah, we ta- we do that. Like you were talking about the assessment process earlier. Like we, when one of the things, w- one of the questions we ask is, you know, um, on a 1 to 10, how stressed are you? Because stress is stress. You know, ex- whether it's exercise-induced stress or, you know, stress from uh, living through a pandemic or whatever the case may be. And it's important that we meet our, you know, meet our clients where they are because um, you can't just keep piling stress on top of stress. So. Um, you know, for some people right now, maybe the best thing for them to do is to, you know, just either go on a long walk or do yoga or stretch or whatever. It may not be doing some high intensity interval training, you know, Uh, for others
1: that. But something every day. Yeah, something. Yeah, Yeah. something where
2: you're moving your body.
1: And people always say this, like, oh, my tolerance is so high. Okay. So if you rate your stress four out of 10, but in reality, it's nine out of 10 for someone else. Right. That shit's still bad. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. It's still not good, you know. (laughs) Just because you learn to live with it, I think learning to live with bad things is never really good if it doesn't go away, Mm -hmm. you know.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: So, Joey, my husband is a little league coach for like our daughter and our daughter now, but for a son as well. Mm -hmm. And you know, he goes to like the, I guess, the coach training prior to when the season starts. And they say for a lot of kids, their little league career ends in the car. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: How do you feel about that?
2: I think it's true. I think it's sad. Um, and look, being a parent now so I have an eight year old son and a five year old son. Um, and i i I get it from a different vantage point now that I'm a father. Um, when I because I've been doing this for a while coaching, and I never got it. I never understood like why are parents that way, but I feel like it's a part of it's it's like parents feel like their their son or daughter's performance is a reflection on them. And the reality is it's not. You know, it's not. It's like, or
1: maybe even. Do you think there's a component of living vicariously? Oh,
2: I think, yeah, I think there's that for sure. Um, but I think people are most people are innately competitive, and they want their son or daughter to be the best. And the reality is that there's only going to be a couple that are the best. And um, the one thing that I would like to instill, I think, with with my children and 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 the players I work with, but I guess as a parent, I just want my child, I don't care whether it's chess or cheerleading or baseball or football or ballet. Like it doesn't matter to me what the vehicle is. I just want them to be passionate about something um, and want to be the best at it. Um, I and think,
1: try to try your best. Try, I guess.
2: Yes. Yeah. Try to be, try. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that's to me as a parent is the most important thing um, because you can control that, you know, you can't control whether you're good or not. Like I, I did the best I could to become a major leaguer. Um, that didn't happen, you know. So some would say, "Well, I fail." You failed, um, and sure, maybe that's true. But what I got from from the from that process was so much more than that, right? Exactly. So,
1: and I really think, Joey. I mean, that says so much about your resilience. Mm-hmm. I think that's the indication of strength. Just like after your career, your baseball career, when you decide to end it, instead of just like sitting on the couch for the rest of your life, you chose to get back up. And then, you know, initially, the office setting may not have been it, but you knew to do something about it, that that was not the way. Right. And to think of something else. And I think it's easier to try your best. And I think this is a something that we adults should think about too. It's easier to think about trying your best for things that you love. Right. Instead of things that you don't love. Because one of the questions that I had as a primary care doctor is like, I feel like I was a really good primary care doctor. I worked really hard as a primary care doctor. But I was wondering at the end of the day, why am I working so hard at something I don't even love? Right. You yeah, know. So yeah. What would happen if you worked hard at something that you do love?
2: Right. I think I think it's important that we all live our our race, our journey, you know, and and, and not try to f- live somebody else's um and my parents never put a lot of pressure on me to, to do or become anything. It was just, you know, they, I think what my parents did for, for me and my siblings was they just, they modeled the behavior they, they want, you know, that they wanted to see out of us. And that was, you know, that was, work. that was a work ethic. Um, and, and once baseball was gone and I couldn't, I didn't have that thing that I love so much, I had to go find it again. Um, but I, I, feel like a lot of, I feel like a lot of kids, a lot of people are under a lot of pressure to like live a life. Um, that their parents want for them. You know, let's say I want you to become a study, so become a doctor or a lawyer, or whatever the case may be. Um, I think that's hard, you exactly. know. Exactly.
1: And I think, you know, it's as a kid, you don't know better. So you get yourself boxed in right for your parents' traditional idea of success. And then look at me. <laughs> right, right, <yeah. laughs> like I became a doctor and I gave up my career. I mean, uh-huh. a lot of people think I've lost my way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm in the process of showing them that I am finding my way, exactly. you know, and does it feel horrible at times? Hell yeah. Right, right. <laughs> You know, but um, I think it takes courage to be who you are.
2: Yeah, I've, um, there's a legendary coach. In fact, we were lucky enough to have him come out to our, we do, like, like I said, we do a baseball camp every every summer. And this this kid, Curtis Thigpen, that I was mentioning earlier, the, the kid that uh, was the second-round draft pick that was my friend, he, he, was, he played at the University of Texas. He won a national championship at the University of Texas. And the head coach there was a guy named Augie Garrido, who's a legendary coach. He was the winningest coach in the history of college sports. Uh, Mike Martin just surpassed him. He's the head coach at, the, at Florida State. But anyway, Augie, um, he came out here in 2012, and there's a there's a great documentary called Inning by Inning about him. And he talked about how he he wanted to be a coach. And he always wanted to be a coach. Even when he was a player, he wanted to be a coach. And his dad's like, you can't, you can't do that as a profession. And he said, you know what, dad? I, I think he said he was watching the I may maybe in the name Rob. I think it was the Ed Sullivan show. And there was a guy on there that was doing the yo-yo. And Augie himself was very good at yo-yo. And he said, if he said this guy was on the Ed Sullivan show doing the yo-yo. And if he can get paid to do the yo-yo, I can get paid to be a coach because I'll tell you what, I'm actually better at the yo-yo than he is. And so he went on to be the winningest coach in the history. I mean, he, the guy was made millions of dollars being a a baseball coach. And that was something that his dad was like, you can't do that. Um, So I think, like you said, I think it takes courage to have a vision of what you want. But I think that's the hardest thing. You know, I've worked with a lot of high school kids, a lot of kids You're in college. And it's like, hey, what do you want to do with your life? They have no idea. And I remember sitting in the bus in the Meyer Leagues, and it, it, again, in hindsight, I should have been, I should have known, like, dude, this isn't going to work out for you. <laughs> like, you need to have a plan B. But I didn't have a plan B. I, was, I, was, I only had a plan A. Um, there was no plan B. But just, I think that's a hard thing for kids in their late teens, early 20s to, like, have a vision, like, what do I want to do? Like, what yeah. am I going to do with my life? Um, I
1: think most of us don't have a No, I don't then. think so yeah. either. I
2: mean, look at how many people go to college, they major in something, they don't even use it, yeah. right? So, but I
1: think it's clear to, like, know when you don't like something or, like, from our experiences that we gather up, like, how you feel. I think sometimes it takes an understanding of what you don't like to find out what you do like.
2: Right, and I think that's I think that's a that needs to be the the mind shift for people is like I think a lot of people myself could I'm sure I'm including this camp is you get frustrated when it's like ah oh, that's not what I want to do. It's like okay well then good then you're one step closer to finding what you do want to do. Exactly. You know, it, and so um when I was when I was driving over the hill when I was working for my parents every single day, literally every single day I would just contemplate, like, what am I doing? Like this is not like I I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wasn't on the path that I wanted to be on, um, and I but I didn't know what how to get on the path I wanted to be on, and like I I, I didn't get that clarity mm-hmm. until Vince passed away, and it's funny because um, I'll talk to some old friends from from college, like my roommates from college that I played baseball with, and they'll they'll say to me they'll say to me like Hey, I, you always wanted to do that," and I'm like, "Really? I don't remember ever." thinking other than anything other than baseball but they'll say yeah you always talked about opening up a training facility and, and having a gym and i was like oh okay i guess i'd so i just i didn't know but um i think just getting that that clarity is is so important it's so hard for so many people
1: and i think the truth is it takes a lot of time but also not giving up like don't stop moving your body when you're a kid when you're you know and when you stop moving your body as an adult but continue right keep on walking right Because this is a question that I have. Could we all be more successful in our lives if we do something that we like? And I'm in the process of answering that. I have no idea, but that's what I'm wondering. Could we be more successful in our lives if we do something that we love?
2: I think there's no doubt, right? I think, yeah, I think as long as, I mean...
1: Instead of being boxed in, you know?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Working in a cubicle kind of getting an idea that there could be the sun outside you know but (laughs) you know just like looking at a wall and a computer i don't know this is the question that i'm seeking to answer Mm -hmm. can i ask you another question joey yeah your business is so beautiful you know it's such a beautiful gym the trainers are so great you're great why do you continue to seek excellence
2: i don't i don't really i don't know um I just I feel like that's how I've always been. And, and I and I and I don't know if it's something that my parents modeled. Um, if it was trying to keep up with my older brothers, I honestly don't know what it is. And look, it wasn't it's, it hasn't always been in all aspects of my life. I think I feel like it's grown to that where I'm trying to be the best at everything I do. Um, I certainly wasn't trying to be the best student I could be when I was in school. Um, but I think I, I think it stems from baseball. I think that um, for me, it was always like what I want to get to that next level, the next level. But now it's, it's kind of morphed into this. I want to be the best friend I can be. I want to be the best father I can be the best business owner I can be. And I don't know. I just feel like, you know, we only get one shot at life and what's the point of, you know, going halfway in. I feel like you got to go all in. And
1: do you feel like you live in the moment? Um,
2: at, at times, I I, I think that oftentimes I, I am thinking about what's next. Um, whether it's like what's next that day or what's next that year. Um, I think that's, that can be a blessing and a curse. I think it's good to kind of have a vision for where I want to go. But um, one of the things that I'm constantly wanting to do is to try to be present in the moment. Um, that's really, really hard for me. I feel like if I could get really get into meditation, I feel like that would help me. But I don't know. I I, I, I am always striving and I'm attracted to people that are always striving. Um, it's, it's funny. I have a couple of friends that, they're having a, they have difficult times in their marriages just because their spouse doesn't look at the world the same way they do. Um, and luckily for me, my wife is very supportive of me trying to constantly be striving, but I I honestly don't know why I'm that way, but it's a big part of how, who I am. And sometimes it can lead to stress, you know, because I'm, either find myself comparing myself to others or i know that i'm not where i want to be um and so i need to check myself and be like hey look you are where you're supposed to be and you are where you are because of the choices you've made and you know if you want to change it then change your change your choices change your decisions change change what you're doing um but yeah that's that's a big part of it and it's something that i try to instill in some of the a lot of the kids that we that we work with is having a vision for what they want to get, where they want to be, and and to and to strive to work to to get there.
1: I think you're Im- impacting a lot of lives, including my own, to to know what it means to perhaps be a little happier or to stem some of that stress. Well, Joey, I just wanted to say I really respect you, and I really respect with what you've done with your life and the path that you're you're going on.
2: Thank you. I that means a lot to me. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 we're all a work in progress, right? <laughs> um, so there are areas in my life that I'm, I'm happy with where I am. There's other areas that I feel like I have a lot of room for growth and I'm going to continue to do it. And, uh, it's funny, this is the first year actually, coincidentally, that it's seeing as though it's been such a crazy year that I've ever actually done a vision board. Um, and I read a quote kind of towards the end of, uh, the end of 2019 and it's by Gary Grant. It's, I pretend to be somebody I wanted to be until finally I became that person or he became me. Um, and that resonated with me because I feel like there's, there's so many areas of my life that I still want to improve upon. Um, and I think that oftentimes what happens is we get tripped up mentally. Um, and, and so for me, it's like, it's the same thing with my fitness journey. Like when I was struggling those four years when I was working to build paradigm is like, look, this is the person I want to become. So I'm just going to pretend to be that person. And then finally it it happened for me. You know, I, I am the guy that wakes up early in the morning and goes and works out. Like I wanted to do that. I I contemplated that for like two years until finally I just said, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to start taking action. And, um, I think that, and and now like as a leader, like that, that's, that's an area in my life that I want to improve upon. Um, and so I'm just doing everything I can to make that happen until I can look back two years from now. and be like, Whoa, wow. You're actually that, you are the, that person that you want to be. So, um, so yeah, I like that quote a lot, and it, it, it's, it's something that kind of helps me kind of get on the path I want to be on.
1: I think that's really beautiful. Like, act like the person you want to be in your future. <laughs> right. Like, act like that person now. You know, if you don't want to be that person in the future, don't act like that person. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for your time, Joey, today. And it was a wonderful, fun conversation, and I think Vince must be so proud of Thank you. Thank
2: you. That means a lot to
0: me. Thanks, Michelle. See you next time on another edition of Lost or Found with Dr. Michelle Choi. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us, Lost or Found podcast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube.